Lesson 12 for September 14 through to 20 to Love Mercy, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, September 14. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, once again we thank you for all of the things that you give to us, not just physical things, but for your presence through the Holy Spirit, for the salvation that comes through Jesus, and for your overarching mercy towards us. And this week, as we see how we can love mercy, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us, each one, in our individual lives, in our study, and in our walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Psalm 112, verses 4 and 5. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Let's read that again, Psalm 112, verses 4 and 5. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. As we have seen, the Bible is filled with passionate descriptions of God's concern for the poor and oppressed, as well as calls for his people to work in their behalf. Despite the attention given to these issues, this biblical mandate has seen just sporadic and partial fulfilment and will be made complete only with the return of Christ and the supernatural events that follow. Until then, evil persists in many forms, fueled by the dark spiritual influences of the devil and his angels. This evil is often made most visible in poverty, violence, oppression, slavery, exploitation, selfishness and greed. In such a world, our communities, our churches and our families need to stand up against these evils, no matter how hard at times it is to do so. In response to the love and commands of God, living in the light of the ministry and sacrifice of Jesus and empowered and guided by the presence of the Holy Spirit, we must be compassionate, creative and courageous in seeking, as it says in Micah 6.8, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Sunday, September 15, Kingdom Priorities As was made clear in the teachings of Jesus and the New Testament writers, those who choose to live as members of the Kingdom of God live by a different set of values and priorities than does the world. Question, read Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33. What is the reassurance we are given in these verses, and how should this reassurance impact our 
priorities. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus taught that life is more than food and the body more than clothes in verse 25. These things are important, of course, but we must see them in light of the kingdom of God, which means we must prioritize our lives in real and practical ways. When we recognize the call throughout the Bible to lift up and care for others, this call also becomes one of our priorities as we seek to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Ideally, this call should help us focus less on ourselves and more on others. This different set of priorities also changes our relationship with those in power over us and over the oppressed. While the Bible instructs Christians to respect and obey their governments as far as possible, and we'll shortly read Romans 13, 1-7, there comes a point where we need to echo the words of Peter. We must obey God rather than human beings. Acts 5, verse 29. Let's now read Romans 13, 1-7. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But... If you do evil, be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Jesus put these two principles in balance in his answer to those trying to trick him on this question. As he says in Matthew twenty-two twenty-one, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. 
Those who have power, whether in government or otherwise, often enforce and maintain that power by threats or force. As we have seen in the life of Jesus, faithful living does not always, and in every situation, require passivity in the face of evil. For example, dealing with slavery in America, Ellen White wrote in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, pages 201 and 202, When the laws of men conflict with the word and law of God, we are to obey the latter, whatever the consequences may be. The law of our land requiring us to deliver a slave to his master, we are not to obey, and we must abide the consequences of violating that law. The slave is not the property of any man. God is his rightful master, and man has no right to take God's workmanship into his hands and claim him as his own. And to finish the day, where is the line between obedience to authorities and standing up for those who might be victims of an oppressive authority? Monday, September 16. Compassion Fatigue Resisting the possibility of letting our good intentions be overwhelmed by all the trouble in the world, many of us would like to do more to make a difference in the lives of the suffering. There are a number of attitudes and actions that can help us make positive responses to those in need. 1. Compassion As we have seen, recognising and empathising with the pain of those who are hurting are first steps toward action. We need to grow and maintain our sensitivity to the suffering. Today, people talk about compassion fatigue, the idea that we are so exposed to sorrow and tragedy that many of us become weary of the many causes that call for our emotional energy and financial support. Jesus was keenly aware of the evil and pain around him, yet he remained compassionate. So must we. 2. Education. Because many situations of injustice and poverty are complicated, listening and learning what we can about these situations is important. There have been many examples in which well-intentioned people have caused damage to other people's lives by trying to help. While this is not an excuse for inaction, we should seek to get involved in ways that are informed and thoughtful. 3. Prayer. When we see a problem, our first thought is to take practical action. But the Bible reminds us that prayer is practical. We can make a difference in the lives of the poor and depressed by our prayers for them and for those who have power over them. As uh, we see in First Timothy 2, 1 and 2, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence as well as seeking guidance for how we can best respond further in offering help, as we read in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. 
He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. 4. Expectations Another important element in working to alleviate suffering is to have proper expectations given the complexity of social, political and personal circumstances. Our hope should be to give people choices and opportunities that they might not have had otherwise. Sometimes what people do with these opportunities will disappoint us, but we must respect those choices. In whatever way we might try to work in behalf of the suffering, our guiding principle must be to do to others what you would have them do to you, as it says in Matthew seven twelve. So to finish the day, read James 1, 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What role should prayer play in Christian action? What does James two fifteen and 16 suggest about how we can contribute to answering our prayers for others. James 2 verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Tuesday, September 17, Generosity God loves a cheerful giver, we read in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, and generous giving is an important aspect of the Christian life. While we must allow the Bible to challenge our giving and financial priorities, generosity is more than just throwing money at a cause, no matter how worthy. Instead, Generosity is one of the largest of life attitudes and a key quality of those who fear the Lord, as noted a number of times in Psalm 112. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Psalm 112, verse 5. Question. What do the following texts teach about generosity toward those in need? Leviticus 25, verses 35 to 37. If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him, like a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with you. Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. And Psalm 119, verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. And Second Corinthians chapter 8 verses 12 through 15. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have.
For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And First John chapter 3 and verse 16 to 18. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods, and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for yourselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. In his New Testament letters, Paul regularly cited the generosity of God, expressed most fully in Jesus giving his life for us as the source of the Christian hope. In turn, his death for us also is the motivation for our living a life of generosity toward others. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Philemon chapter 1 verse 6. Generosity is an attitude toward life that is large, bold and embracing. So much in our individual lives, societies and cultures prompts us to focus on ourselves, to keep as much as we can for ourselves. And let's face it, for most of us, the default mode is always self, self, self anyway. If it is real, our faith will cause us to die to self and live more for others. Our faith helps us imagine the world and its people as God sees them in both their goodness and their brokenness, and it impels us to seek to help those in need, to whatever degree possible. As a quality of living, generosity is readily appreciated by fundraisers and charities. Such generosity is measurable and directly practical, but large donations do not necessarily indicate a generous life, as we see in Mark 12, verses 41 to 44. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance." But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. A generous life is larger and more valuable than any donation. We need better to appreciate and cultivate a generous spirit in all that we do.
For most people, generosity doesn't come naturally. It is grace that we need to express in our lives proactively and purposely, regardless of the pull of our sinful, selfish humanity. So to finish the day, besides giving money, even generously, what are other ways that we should manifest a generous spirit? Wednesday, September 18, Peacemaking Question, read Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. In the kind of world we live in, how do we do what Jesus says here? Ultimately, how successful can we be? First of all, Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And then we're asked to look at Mark chapter 13, verse 7. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Violent conflict is a significant cause of suffering. Included in the costs of war are the direct victims and shattered lives, the attention and resources devoted to military machinery that would be better diverted to alleviating other human needs and the ongoing suffering of war survivors and veterans, even among the victors. Then, There are the many smaller conflicts that scar countless lives in families and communities. As such, a passion for justice cannot ignore the mandate to peacemaking. At the heart of the gospel of Jesus is God's gracious and grand act of peacemaking, reconciling sinful human beings to their Creator, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18-21. to All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the reconciliation we receive becomes the pattern for us to be ambassadors for this reconciliation for others as well. Question. Read Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7. How do we live out this text too? Isaiah 58 verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. The gospel of peace also becomes the motivation, pattern and resource for working for peace in our violent world. As Ellen White writes in Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 28, the heart that is in harmony with God is a partaker of the peace of heaven and will diffuse its blessed influence on all around. The spirit of peace will rest like dew upon the hearts weary and troubled with worldly strife. End of quote. 
In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Taking this further, not only did he affirm the commandment against killing, he said that we should not be angry or hold a grudge, and that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, meaning that we should take active steps to seek their good. Let's look at two sets of texts here, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, and verses 43 to 48. First of all, Matthew five twenty one, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly, while you are on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown in prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny, and verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust." For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. There are many inspiring stories of people who have devoted their lives to peacemaking in the world's trouble spots, bringing glimpses of reconciliation and healing, and often alleviating much of the injustice and suffering these conflicts have brought. So, to finish today, what are ways that your church, at its local level, could act in the role of peacemaker? Thursday, September 19, A Voice for the Voiceless Solomon wrote that there is a time to be silent and a time to speak in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 7. He was right, and finding that balance is not simple for any of us. However, when it comes to speaking for the oppressed and being a voice for the voiceless and seeking to overcome evil with good... Is it possible that as a church we have erred on the side of too much silence when our voice should have been heard? Christians have often talked about being the hands and feet of Jesus, referring to the call to practical service for others as Jesus would have us do. 
But in the prophetic role as demonstrated in the Bible, God's first call is for men and women to be his voice, and in speaking on behalf of God, also speaking up on behalf of those God wants to defend, as we read in Psalm 146 verses 6 to 10, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. He keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Question. Read Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 10. What should this message, given in its specific time and place and context, say to us today in another time, place and context? How much has really changed between the time Isaiah wrote this and our world today? Isaiah 58 Verse 1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls, and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast you find pleasure and exploit all your labourers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day, to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. I will take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as noonday. The prophet's call to justice was never a path to popularity. But motivated by their commission from God, understanding God's passion for justice, sympathising with the plight of the poor and oppressed, and seeking the best for their society, these prophets dared to be a voice for the voiceless in their time and place. Despite opposition, discomfort, and danger, as we read in 1 Peter 3.17, for it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good, than for doing evil. 
Based on our understanding of the Gospel and the call to reflect Jesus to the world, Seventh-day Adventists also have many good things to offer in regard to dealing with the evil in the world. Such as, as we read in the Seventh-day Adventist official statement on global poverty of June 24, 2010, Seventh-day Adventists believe that actions to reduce poverty and its attendant injustices are an important part of Christian social responsibility. The Bible clearly reveals God's special interest in the poor and his expectations as to how his followers should respond to those who are unable to care for themselves. All human beings bear the image of God and are the recipients of God's blessing. Luke 6 verse 20. In working for the poor, we follow the example and teaching of Jesus in Matthew 25, 35 to 36. As a spiritual community, Seventh-day Adventists advocate justice for the poor and speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Proverbs 31 verse 8. And against those who deprive the poor of their rights. Isaiah 10 verse 2. We participate with God who secures justice for the poor. Psalm 140 verse 12. Friday, September 20. From the book Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 137, Search heaven and earth, and there is no truth revealed more powerful than that which is made manifest in works of mercy to those who need our sympathy and aid. This is the truth as it is in Jesus. When those who profess the name of Christ shall practice the principles of the golden rule, the same power will attend the gospel as in apostolic times. And from the Acts of the Apostles, page 551. Supreme love for God and unselfish love for one another. This is the best gift that our Heavenly Father can bestow. This love is not an impulse, but a divine principle, a permanent power. The unconsecrated heart cannot originate or produce it. Only in the heart where Jesus reigns is it found. This love, cherished in the soul, sweetens the life and sheds a refining influence on all around. And that brings us to our one, two, three, four discussion questions for this week. As we have seen in this week's study, the gospel continues to be the template and motivation for acting on behalf of others as Jesus acted on our behalf. How has this expanded your understanding and appreciation of the good news of what God has done for us and how he shows his love for us? 2. Raising our voices for the voiceless, engaging in peacemaking and similar activities may draw us into public and political arenas. However, the Seventh-day Adventist Church has been a champion of the separation of church and state. What is the difference between inappropriate political involvement and speaking up and working to make peace in public ways? 3. What one step or action discussed in this week's study would you like to take in your life and community? How can you make it happen? And four, what issue of evil and depression have you decided to pray for in your community or in the wider world? And to summarise this week's lesson, 
becoming a follower of Jesus will change our lives in many ways, including producing in us a passion to join in with God's active concern for the poor and downtrodden. Never an easy task and rarely popular, this will change our priorities and motivate us to take active steps to heal the hurt in the world around us. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled U.S. Biker Embraces Sabbath and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. The invitation startled Richard Smith as he stopped at a senior centre to collect meals to deliver on his Harley-Davidson motorcycle to retirees in the U.S. state of West Virginia. Would you like to go to the Seventh-day Adventist Church with me? asked Ruth, who also worked at the senior centre. I don't know, Richard said. I don't know anything about the Adventist church. Richard, 72, had visited various Sunday churches during two marriages and two jobs, but he had never been baptised. He didn't know which church to join, and he often thought, if God wakes me up one day and says, go to a different church, I want to be able to pack up and move. So, When Ruth invited him to church, he replied, Let's try my churches first. He asked Ruth, a divorced nurse, six years his junior, for her opinion after visiting a church together on Sunday. If I just wanted breakfast, it was good, Ruth said about the church's doughnuts and fruit juice. In reply to his query after the second church, Ruth noted that the pastor had spent much more time on the announcements than the sermon. Ruth's observations gave Richard a new perspective and he finally agreed to go with her to an Adventist church. Soon he began to ply its pastor, Bill Hunt, with questions about the Bible, and the answers amazed him. It was like I had this veil over my head, Richard said. I could see through it, but everything was kind of hazy. Bill yanked that veil off my head and I said, wow, things are as clear as a bell. Richard also shared a common interest with the pastor. They both are bikers. Then the pastor invited Richard to attend an evangelistic series, one of 35 evangelistic series in West Virginia that were funded by a 2015 13 Sabbath offering. Richard attended with Ruth and was baptised. In all, eight people were baptised into the 2016 meetings at the Huntington Church. Today, Richard, pictured left, is 72 and sharing his love for Jesus with anyone who will listen. The Lord takes such good care of me, and I think, why? He said, I know he takes care of everybody, but why? It's like I am sitting down at the table, looking at my plate, and everything on it I like to eat. What more can I ask for? This Sabbath, I expect to be at the South Queensland camp in Australia, just north of Brisbane. You may be able to watch some of these programs live on livingministrymedia.com.au. That's 
livingministrymedia.com.au. Living Ministry Media is one word. Or look up LMMSA and that will guide you there. Most of the major meetings are being broadcast and you might even see my face there introducing some of the programs. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.